yet stand alongside of you. The fountains of the deep are opened up, and yet the windows of heaven are also opened up. From all around you will come blessings if you will just reach out. For I am the Lord that supplies all of your needs according, according to my riches in glory. Feast of me. Reach out. Get what you need from me. The hour's late, and thus you need me more than ever before. But I am here to sustain you, and I will grant to the eternal life, saith the Lord. Oh. Reach out to him right now. Would you do that? Reach out to him right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'll tell you, the Lord is in this place tonight. He is here tonight. I did not stand uh, to volunteer for the work day, as many of you know. Brother Jeff Vaughn is getting married in Des Moines this coming Saturday. And I will be down there Friday night and Saturday. I'll have to miss the Sunday morning service. He pulled a good one on me. He, uh, <clears throat> Of course, they requested I come to the, to the wedding, and I uh, agreed. And then I found out later it was 7 o'clock in the evening. I said, Brother Jeff, it's 7 o'clock in the evening. There's no way I can attend that wedding and the reception and then be back here by Sunday morning unless uh, Sister Grant is willing to drive all night. <clears throat> and uh, she said she wasn't. So, uh, <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> I caught something there, but I'm not for sure what it was. <clears throat> it was a dagger. I know that. No. <laughs> I was just joking. <clears throat> Oh, my. Take your Bibles and turn to John 6. Praise God. Good to see all of our guests here. Uh, we've got people visiting with us. I don't know if we have any first-time visitors, maybe some. But we do welcome you to Calvary Gospel Church. We have had a great move of the Lord. I was thinking exactly the way Brother Thomas was thinking. I opened the paper this afternoon. I saw that big, huge crowd uh, on State Street and then that big, huge crowd out in Pasadena. And, you know, the <clears throat> these moments are just fleeting moments. You experience uh, such great victory like, the Badgers did, and everybody's all excited about it. You read all about it, put your paper down, and it's gone. May not happen for another 30 years. <laughs> but you know what? You can have victory in the Lord every day. You really can. You can have victory in God every day. Made some promises to you this past uh, Friday night, and I'm planning on sticking to my promise. I'm preaching on the subject, opportunity to turn back. Did you know that Jesus would give you enough elbow room to go to hell if you want to? He will give you enough turning radius to make the wrong turn if you want to. So from John, the sixth chapter, <clears throat> we want to read verse 66, 67, and 68. John six sixty six. from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And you may be seated. 
Praise God. I am feeling that this might be a, uh, a service tonight that I'm going to need this, uh, this portable mic. Some of you may have to help me preach tonight. How would you like to do that? Praise God. I saw a few hands. <clears throat> Some of you are afraid. I'm not going <clears> to <throat> embarrass you. I... Uh, I have had some real concerns in the last month, and uh, I, I have been expressing it. I have to express it in several different services in a row because it's got where we come to church in shifts. Some of you are on the swing shift, you know. You just, every time you swing around in the right mood, you get to church. So uh, <clears throat> now let me first say we've had a lot of sicknesses. A lot of people have been sick. We... We have people tonight that would be here. They're not here because they have the flu. We have reports from various people in the medical profession. Uh, a lot of people are checking in the hospitals with pneumonia. And several new strands of the flu. And I would be the last person to stand here and criticize anyone uh, that's in bed sick with the flu. I catch seemingly everything that comes around. I'd feel badly about it, but I do. I'd just be doing so good, and all of a sudden, uh, I just get sick. I've had, I've had respiratory problems for some time, and it just seems like that every time I can catch a cold, I do, and every time I can catch the flu, I do. Every time I can catch the pneumonia, I do. One time I had pneumonia three times in one year. Uh, <clears throat> so... I wouldn't want anyone to feel that I am being critical of people who are sick. Also, because of the holiday, I wouldn't want anyone to feel that any statements that I make relative to a lack of church attendance where people are with their families and such that this is directed to you. But I will say I plan on coming hard against people who just lay out of church for no reason at all other than the fact they just don't want to come, got other plans, okay? And I know some of that's been going on. Now, what I want to do in this message is to establish a basic philosophy that if you live by it, you can free yourself from condemnation. A lot of people live under condemnation. In other words, every time the preacher gets up to preach... They feel that the preacher is preaching to them. And it just might be that he is. Also, I want to say that looking out across the congregation, I only know of possibly four people in this congregation that are older than me. There may be only three, but possibly four. Uh, you're already looking around. You can't go by looks, I can tell you. Because if you went by looks, there'd be a whole lot of people here older than me. <clears throat> Don't tell on yourself, Rich. <clears throat> well, Rich Thomas was born in 1942. Now, I was born in 1940, and we, I know that we have three people here born before then, possibly four. I don't know if anybody wants to raise their hand and admit that they were born before 1940 or not. That's all right. Now, I'm not trying to validate my apostleship <coughs> as an elder. All I'm trying to do is say that I've been around long enough to know that there are certain trends that people get into that are costly ones. Uh, I have seen families just get a little cold in the Lord while their kids are growing up. And by the time their kids became teenagers, they had lost them. Then they recommitted their hearts to God and could not win their children back. They live, uh, they live lives that are very uncomfortable. They live under condemnation as a result. I've known of people who had a genuine call to preach the gospel that uh, they wasted a lot of their years. Later on in life, they thought they should, but then they thought they were too old to get involved. They live under a lot of condemnation. The thing that is important is this, that if Jesus 
is number one in your life, and He expects to be, then you must give Him your best. I mean, it only makes sense if, you, if, if you're involved with, with the number one source in the world that you give it your best. That only makes sense, doesn't it? Reading in a paper about Wisconsin, they were saying Wisconsin <clears throat> might be the best team in the nation. Well, I don't know that much about what's going on to, to possibly even make a comment. I don't think any of you do. But on the other hand, I know this, that <clears throat> to win the Rose Bowl, a bunch of men's got to give it their best. I did hear Barry Alvarez on the radio about a week and a half ago, and he was saying, the thing about this team is they are hungry to win. That's what he said. He said, I've tried my best to put this in them. And he said, you will find that whatever you do in life, if you only give it, Kind of a mediocre service. That's all you'll get out of it. If you give it your best, you'll be happy that you did. Now, I said that to say that because I'm expecting a 100 soul revival in 1994. I really do. And by the end of the year, hopefully we'll have more than 200 people baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, that it's going to require a lot of additional service and superior dedication. All Sunday school teachers and things. See, here's, here's what recently, just give you give an example. Recently, uh, and anybody would like to discuss this with me, I'd be glad to discuss it with you. We had a family came to church and brought their children and got into the church and and one of the uh, one of the uh, uh, children was asked uh, who's your Sunday school teacher and uh, the little girl looked around and said well she's not here she only comes on Sunday morning I think never see her any other time. <clears throat> <laughs> I felt terrible about that. I thought I should have fired that teacher a long time ago. <clears throat> and I say, Brother Grant, you can't fire me. Oh, yes, I can. <clears throat> you know, uh, let me just explain something. Okay, I, I, I got a lot of things that I want to dish out tonight, and I don't want anybody to be offended. I'm, I'm preaching the way I'm preaching to encourage you. Okay? You see... <clears throat> Here, here's, here's a situation that, 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 that we are involved in. As a pastor, it's only right that I expect of you what God expects of you. Somebody, well, happened to be a minister, visited our church one time, and he did not preach, and I was preaching, and I, I said a few things, quite bold things, and he, we were in a meeting. He said, you can't believe what Brother Grant said in his church the other night and he told it someone said how can you say that and get by with it I said well I didn't make a big issue out of it I just said it and the matter was settled I'm not going to pick on anybody with my preaching at least not too long <clears throat> but you see I believe that God has given me a responsibility just like he's given you a responsibility over your household I believe that God's given me the responsibility to be dead honest. I don't know if that's a good word or not. If it's a good phrase. I put the word dead in there. It's kind of serious, isn't it? <clears throat> to be just as honest as I can with you. There's certain, see, we are confronted with issues of life, and Jesus is soon to return. We talked about the soon return of the Lord in our watch night service. Talked from the End Time magazine, from the Madison newspaper. You know, people who think we have church too much. Wait till the church is gone and see how much you'll want to come. But it won't make any difference then. See? 
See, I believe there's a purpose that, that Paul wrote that we should forsake not the assembling of ourselves together and so much the more as we see the day approaching. That you need to hear the Word of God and you need somebody to talk plain with you and frank with you. Now let me back up about this business about I can't believe Brother Greg said that. When there is an atmosphere of the anointing of God like we've had in this place, ministers under great boldness and anointing of God can say things that they cannot say to people when the atmosphere is dead and carnal. People won't take it. I just hope I have enough wisdom to know when to make certain statements and when not. But I believe tonight is a good night to talk about your living. I really do. Now, <clears throat> God's will is, is paramount. But on the other hand, God will not just bug the daylights out of you all the time just to get you to do right. See, I remember a, a lady attending our church. She, she did such a remarkable job. She was a young person. And she went astray. And when she came and talked to me about it, she said, I'm praying that God will chasten me. In other words, I need the chastisement of God on me the way because of the way I've been living. I said, do you realize that you've been doing wrong? Yes. I said, well, that's all. You, you know, when God punishes, so to speak, he does so in order to get you to understand that you've made a mistake. But ultimately, the change of behavior is left up to you. Now, if you know you've been doing wrong, what is really the purpose in this? You follow what I'm saying? What is the purpose? In it? And I know this. As a minister, if I stand behind this pulpit, and if I cause people to go astray, be discouraged, and fall by the wayside, I have to answer to God for that. And I fully expect God to take action against me. I revere Him and respect Him enough to fully Look for it. It's going to come to me. I believe that. But on the other hand, I also believe that if I allow people who are God-fearing to a degree, but who have slipped into this lackadaisical mold, attitude, complacency. See, one of the signs of the last days is complacency. And if I don't do something about that, I also must give an answer to God. Now that's, that's quite awesome when you think about it. Now, <clears throat> the thing that I want to point out to you is that as a minister, I have no authority really over anyone outside the scriptural authority that's found in the Holy Bible, I might pull rank on you, and there be, may be enough uh, people that will stand behind me to allow me to do that, but basically, I suppose a few people wanted me to, uh, you could just run me off. Oh, I make statements about, well, nobody hired me, nobody can fire me. I've been to churches where they wanted the pastor to leave. <clears throat> One church circulated a petition. The pastor called me and said, there's a petition in our church. They want me to leave. What should I do? I said, I'd sign it and I'd leave. <clears throat> because when your respect gets that low, uh, you're done for. Now let me say this. I highly respect every Christian in this building tonight. I highly respect you. I revere you. I love you. I think we have 
some great people. All I want to do is to see God move in these last days to save some of those people in that city of Madison. I point eastward because, or westward because the city is westward from here. Actually, we're talking about the whole area, but the concentration of people, that's, that's where it is. And I, I want God to save many of those people before rapture day. I have a vision of what hell is going to be like. And I don't want to go there, and I don't want to see anybody else go there. I don't. <clears throat> I think when it comes to the Scripture that I could go into a lot of Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about our allegiance to spiritual leaders. Uh, Let every soul be subject unto the high powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be ordained of God. You know, we have abuse of power. There's been, and right now, the abuse of everything is, 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 you know, it's like child abuse. It's sexual abuse. It's abuse of power. Uh, abuse of funds and such. You, you hear about this all the time. Almost to the point that, that parents don't know, if, can I really correct my... I've even talked with some of the men. That, that were a little bit afraid to be the head of their household. I said, why be afraid to be the head of your household? Well, because, you know, well, I think it's wrong for a man to physically or even mentally abuse his wife. I think that's wrong. But I think most of that occurs as a result of the father in the household when he does discipline his children is not feeling that he is really the head of that household. And he does a lot of this out of just frustration. Sometimes husbands do the same. I'm against abuse. Don't think that people should abuse funds, take funds and spend those funds for purposes other than what they're designated for. I don't believe that. I don't think that pastors should stand up and beat on people. But on the other hand, I do know what the Bible says about this, okay? The Bible says, Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. In other words, any person who goes against the God-ordained authority over him will receive damnation. Is that Bible or not? Now, someone says, oh, this is talking about, spirit, uh, talking about civil leaders. Well, I realize that this is generally the accepted interpretation, but you can't really find it in 1 Corinthians 13. It's talking about all powers that be of, over you, whether it be the power of a tender, loving mother, the power of a stoic father, in the household, an employer on a job, a judge that sits on the bench. Maybe a public place that you go into to leave your clothes off at a dry cleaner. The man owns a store. Ought to have a right to run it. You don't have to patronize a place if you don't like it. Now, but Jesus, see, here's what Jesus did, though. Even though he was the supreme power, what he said was, you know, Jesus could pull rank on those apostles anytime he wanted to and did on occasion, but also gave them the opportunity to leave if they wanted to leave. Basically, I guess I could put it like this. Even though it is not God's plan for divorce, you don't have to live with your spouse. You can get a divorce. Now that does not mean that the Bible endorses divorce. 
doesn't mean that at all. You can change jobs because of a conflict with an employer. It does not mean, however, that changing jobs is necessarily the will of God. Sometimes you have problems with an employer. It might be your own fault. Could be his, but it might be yours, see. See, every man's right in his own eyes. You follow what I'm saying? So, basically, it boils down to this, that the world is held together by a certain allegiance and trust. And, of course, a few other things. You know, if you're working on your job and you know that you're not going to have any money to get groceries with, you might, your job becomes a little more tolerable. Follow what I'm saying? I've seen people get mad and blow up, leave their jobs, and they found out they don't get paid if they don't work. They were begging for their jobs back. All right? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same, for he is a minister of God to thee for good. Now, I must call your attention to this, because... This is, this is the way the world is held together. The trust in leadership and authority is the cohesiveness that holds the human race together. Now, the devil is wanting to destroy that. There is a move to destroy this. You know that? It's amazing to me if, if there's an employer on the job that's moving up and he's getting promotions. It's amazing to me how much he's revered by everybody except his fellow man that he works with. And they have phrases on the job to get moved up. <coughs> What's taking place? But the, the whole problem is that everybody's fighting for that position. Everybody wants up there. You don't like it when somebody else gets up there, and you don't. There is such a movement in the world to destroy this cohesiveness. Now, I just, I just simply believe that 1994 is a year that we just really need to tighten our belts, so to speak, take a fresh look at what we're doing, and recommit ourselves. I've asked everyone singing special songs to recommit themselves. I also ask the people who are leading services to recommit themselves. Now, please understand, I appreciate, uh, you know, the reason why I, I chose the service leaders, because I believe the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of God, that basically what I'm willing to do is take those involved in the supreme leadership are the ministry. And I'm willing to go back and get these men to recommit first and foremost before others recommit. I think right now we need to take a fresh look at a lot of different things. Because you see, here's what's, here's what's happening. A holiday such as the birth of the Lord, in which you'd think most people would really be religious, wouldn't you? I will say this. I went by St. Patrick's Church on Highway 51. You can see it on Christmas Eve night. <clears throat> there must have been a thousand cars out there. Now, I don't know if those people go to church that regularly, but the whole parking lot and everything. Of course, that's a traditional time in which... Why the Catholics go to church. Now, you know, what, what happens is that, that some of you are just abusing your right also to make decisions. But that I mean, when it comes holidays and things like that, it, it's hard, almost hard to do anything because you can't get enough people together. You'll You'll come and do what you're involved in. In other words, let me, let me just put it real plain. You're too busy having 
parties on your job that you feel allegiance to and just kind of chasing all over shopping and getting everything else done and you let your spiritual life slip during that time. Now, I know what I'm talking about. You see, there, there's a couple of things that I, I think that I, I, I've got to point out to you. As, as a leader, praying for people daily, you may not believe this, but I think if I bring it home, you'll understand what I'm... You receive from the Lord various messages about people that uh, you would not receive if you're not a leader. I believe that parents receive special insight from God concerning their children. I think that this is especially true in the in the in a husband and wife relationship when things do not know, go good. You, you turn to Hosea the second chapter verse six. I'm going to point out something here. <clears throat> Therefore, behold, I will hedge up the way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. Now, I'm sure glad that I'm a New Testament minister, not an Old Testament prophet. The Old Testament prophets, now there's certain things about God I don't understand, but when they prophesied certain things, they had to actually live that role. And so, here is Hosea. He's going to prophesy against Israel because Israel had gone astray. She had committed fornication because she was involved in idolatry and such. Now, to show Israel what Israel was doing, God told Hosea, I want you to get up and go down to the red light district. And there's a prostitute down there. And I want you to marry that prostitute. Wow. Are you talking about blowing your mind? Oh, Lord. That's what I want you to do. Now that's the kind of lie that God wanted this prophet to live because in doing so, he would physically then point out to Israel what her waywardness was all about. People said, oh, you mean he went married this prostitute? They might have had a few other choice words about the lady. And then God was going to say, he sure did. And you may think it's not a wholesome relationship, and it isn't. But it's the exact relationship that I have with you. Tough medicine. It's pretty tough, isn't it? So he married this woman, had children by her. The, the problem was, though, that Gomer, because of her waywardness, every time one of her former companions came by, she just kind of flipped her lid, you know. Just She ended up leaving him. which made the story even closer to reality than what it had been, because that's what Israel had done to the Lord. Now, God moved upon Hosea and said, because of the special relationship that I have with my wife, And because that I'm responsible to her, and because she's made the wrong decision, that does not mean that even though she was given the authority to walk away with another lover, that God was going to let Israel buy with that. And God moved upon Hosea, and he says, neither then, Will Gomer do this? I can't do anything about it. 
because her affections are not toward me. So what I will do, I will pray intercessory prayers, and when I pray these prayers, I'm going to pray this big hedge of thorns all around her. So God's going to take His prayers, and every time He prays for her, He binds this hedge of thorns. Now, if you will notice in the Scripture, there are hedges that God puts up around some people. There was a hedge built around Job. But it wasn't a hedge of thorns. Job was comfortable because the devil couldn't get in there because of his righteous living. God just protected him. And the only way, the only way that the devil could get in was to go to the throne of God and get expressed permission. You see, the Bible speaks of Satan holding people captive at his own will. That's what Peter says in his epistle. And that's what happens to people who step outside of the hedge of protection. That if you are disobedient to God, you are not submissive to God, and you step outside of that hedge of protection, Satan then does not have to go to the throne of God to get expressed permission to attack you. Now you think about that for a minute. And I don't care how many people that would come by and make you, if you're outside the will of God, feel like that you are the apple of his eye and that Satan can't touch you. He can touch you if you get outside of that hedge of his will. And all I can say is don't look for rosy things to happen to you if you're living outside of his will. Don't look for that. Don't even don't expect that. Now, <clears throat> this hedge, though, that that Hosea is basically responsible for is a hedge of thorns. It has nothing to do with the will of God. What he's praying is that I'm going to put this hedge of thorns around this woman that I love dearly. Probably didn't love her at the start of the relationship. He probably despised the idea. He may even despise the woman. But God says marry her. She was his wife and he was responsible. And she was off with another man. And in his closet of prayer he prayed this hedge of thorns around her. And this is what. He was doing. He said, let her friends forsake her. In other words, the hedge of thorns as Hosea prayed got tighter and tighter and tighter. So that every move that Gomer made, she got stuck with guilt. Stuck with conviction. And stuck with condemnation. She couldn't move. She literally became unfriendly and she became a grouch. And you know what happened? Some of those men that were so much infatuated with her, they began to look at her and say, She's ugly. Land sakes alive. What did I see in that egg? You know, your countenance does make a lot of difference, doesn't it? A person with a beautiful smile is not ugly ever. A person with a shining countenance is always attractive. You know that? Yeah? Sometimes when we worship, we get, get sour looks on our face. I occasionally stop the congregation. I say, I want everybody to raise their eyebrows. 
Because, you know, you can't frown, can you? With your eyebrows raised, can you? Can't try. <laughs> your muscles don't work together, do they? But lower those eyebrows. Like you do when you get mad. You ever see me get mad, Sister Grant? Oh, not now, don't say. <clears throat> so, the beautiful lady with the raised eyebrows, because she was living under conviction and guilt, and every time she turned, something stuck her, this hedge of thorns. Now, Hosea could do it. Why? Because of his personal relationship with Gomer. I'm not saying everybody could do it. But let me tell you something. You can pray a hedge of thorns around your spouse. Let me tell you something else. You can pray a hedge of thorns around your children because you're personally responsible. And I'll tell you something else. God has put me in as the leader of the church, the pastor, the under-shepherd. I believe, and you may think that I'm wrong in this, but I know I'm right. I can pray a hedge of thorns around you. Every now and then, we'll have someone praying for their spouse or praying for their mother, praying for their dad. And they come in and talk to me and say, oh, dear, you cannot believe what happened this week. I've never seen anybody so mad in all the days of my life. Whoopee! The prayer's working. Hallelujah. The hedge of thorns getting tighter. Hallelujah. Glory. <clears throat> That's what we're after. Now, the big challenge, though, is that when Gomer lowers those eyebrows and gets ugly that Hosea still has the ability to be kind and loving and considerate. Because you know what you could do? You could lower your eyebrows and pick up your dukes and fight back. And guess what's going to happen? You're going to get stuck too. The whole scheme is to keep your arms wide open and keep a good attitude so that when Gomer comes and says, Hosea, I need to talk with you. Yes, hon. Well, I just got to thinking, you know, nobody's treated me as nice as you. Is that right? Oh, yeah. In fact, I'm sorry I left you. You know, I, I've got uh, a lot of these friends and I've had problems for years. You knew that when you married me. You know, it seems like nobody cares for me but you. That was the scheme. Now, if you don't think that spiritual leaders have power with God, I can show you other places in the Scripture. Look at Moses when God was totally disgusted with Israel and wanted to wipe them from the face of the earth. A man who had such a hot passion to deliver them from sin. His name was Moses. He stepped between God and Israel, and he said, Lord, I love those people. Now, I know they're deserving of death. God said, hold on just a minute, Moses. we got a, we got a plan we want to discuss. What is it? I'll strike them all dead, and I'll raise up new people from your seed. That's not contrary to what the Scripture says. Moses, by the way, was from the loins of Abraham. So why would that be contrary to Scripture? But Moses looked out to those people. Many of them he knew personally. 
He knew the Juanitas. He knew the Rachels. He knew the Melissas and the Matthews and the Peggy's. He knew them all. And he loved them. And he said, Lord, I can't let you do this. I can't. I'd rather die myself. If you're going to wipe them from the face of the earth, take me first. I don't want to live. I can't be with my people. Don't tell me that leaders don't have power with God. As a spiritual parent, if you've got a child or a husband that has a wife or a wife that has a husband or grandfathers and grandmothers that have grandchildren, on your face in intercessory prayer before God, many of them are still alive today. They were worthy of death. But you prayed. You sought God. You held on. You loved them. You cared for them. You believed in them. Even when God wanted to kill them. I'm going to tell you something. What we need to do, and to the baby boomers, and most of you are, because... The baby boomers, they don't like to hear about the wrath of God. They don't like to hear about hell. But the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. He's talking about persuading men to repent. You say what you want to, my friend, but my Bible tells me it is God who casts the sinner into hell forever, to burn forever. We like to water it down and say God doesn't send anybody there. You send yourself. That may be true, but it is the righteous judge of heaven. That's your Redeemer and Savior today that someday will be your judge that will say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. It's a deliberate choice that you make, but nevertheless, because you made the wrong decision. It's God who says, You can have what you asked for. And you can't change it now, Rich. It's too late. Oh, God. 100 soul revival. You know what that means? That means some of your relatives out there are going to be in that group. Some that you've been praying for for years are going to kneel at the altar and find God in the power of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Some of you whose fathers don't know God, they're going to come in here and they're going to receive God. Some of your parents you've been praying for for years, they're going to be in that number. Some of your children that you've sought God for, ask God to save, they're going to be in that number. I believe it. I really do believe it. I believe it. Providing... That you're not all frolicking around someplace. <clears throat> You've got to have power with God to see them saved. You've got to care about them. You've got to change your priorities. See, let me, let me just show you something. We talked about condemnation. I've got to get into this. I'm spending a little bit too much time, I guess, in something else. But <clears throat> in Romans, the 8th chapter, verse... Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You know, recently, and you'll have to forgive me, it seems like I've preached with my sword drawn, and I don't like to do that. I really don't. I don't like that. I don't like that type of... Uh, relationship with you some people like it you know some people the harder you can hit them with the word the better they like it others that's not true but uh, I, I, I have felt a real director from the Lord now some people live under condemnation simply because that they're not honest with themselves that's what I want to talk about see 
The Bible tells us in the Song of Solomon, the second chapter, verse 15, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines have tender grapes. It's amazing. It's the little bitty things in your life that really make the difference. You know, it's just a drop of conviction here, a drop of conviction over here. After a while, just talking a little wayward. After a while, so forth and so on. After a while, you've pretty much been diluted down, desensitized to where you're not really in harmony with God. Now, a lot of people live under condemnation. They can't get the victory simply because that that they, they can't be honest enough with themselves. There seems to be a character flaw. Let me just, let me point out something. Okay, let's just look at the honesty test. Okay, it was snowing outside. Roads were very slippery. Some people drove quite a distance to come in. I don't know if Brother and Sister Powell drove all the way from Dodgeville in or not. It was a long ways. Uh, a long ways. Brother Brad, uh, you stayed here in town today, didn't you? living in an arena now. It's moved up here to be with us. And I really praise God for that. Uh, some of you drove from way up at uh, uh, Partyville. Is that right? Uh, Greg Michelle Potter. Roads are slippery. Now, let me just point out something, okay? See, when you get cold and indifferent, you look for reasons to get out of things rather than reasons to do things. Follow what I'm saying? Uh, let's say that it's Thanksgiving time. It's, it, that's a good week to to call your attention to because it's deer hunting season. We can hit a lot of things just talking about Thanksgiving week, okay? Okay, it's Thanksgiving week. <clears throat> All right. Now, Thursday is Thanksgiving, let's say. All right. Now, you're going to have all the family over. The problem is there's an ice storm sleeting. Now, what are you going to do? You're going to have everybody come over to the house for a meal and you be unprepared? We have Thanksgiving at our house every Thanksgiving day. We have had it for years. We always have a big turkey. My wife makes a, some of this southern dressing. It's not that stovetop junk like you Yankees have, you know, just gooey old stuff. <clears throat> I'm just teasing. <clears throat> I'm, I'm only teasing, really. It is different, though. It's got a lot of sage in it. <clears throat> Makes your hair drop out. <clears throat> <clears throat> but at any rate, <clears throat> we always have that Thanksgiving meal. Now, let me ask you this. Would you get in your car and drive very slowly to the grocery store to pick up ingredients for a Thanksgiving meal if you knew? If you knew that you had four or five couples committed to come to your house, I'd say most everybody here that drives would do that. I'm talking about the honesty test. In all sincerity, you'd probably drive and you'd say, boy, the roads are slippery, but I made it. Because we're going to have fun Thanksgiving. <clears throat> Come church time, sleeting. Big smorgasbord prepared by God. Like a Thanksgiving meal. Man, he's got turkey and dressing and ham and hot rolls, pumpkin pies, <clears throat> everything. Well, I don't know, hon. We ought to try it tonight. Roads are mighty slippery. I don't know about that Friday night prayer meeting anyway. Boy, it's really raining outside. I've got a cold, you know, I might get wet. 
No. That's the way we think when we're looking for reasons to get out of doing things. Let's, let's talk about the deer hunt itself. In the last few years, I've been sick a few times during deer season. When I really want to go, I've always gone. Now, I will say this. I sympathize, empathize, maybe I should say, with people who catch colds and such. I catch them. But I do know. Well, let me say this. I, I become highly skeptical of people who are constantly sick during service, but they can work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, be sick on Thursday night, go to work on Friday, frolic around all day Saturday at shopping malls and be sick on Sunday and Monday, Sunday again and go back to work on Monday. We're talking about the honesty test. Now then, when the Holy Spirit's moving, you sit back and you just don't feel quite in rhythm. You feel, you feel guilty. You feel like condemnation. See, you're living outside of that hedge of protection. And it might be that maybe some spiritual leaders prayed a hedge of thorns around you. <clears throat> Let's talk about work itself. Now, if you were an employer, would you tolerate an employee that constantly missed? Think about it, would you? Just came when he wanted to. He said, hey, Joe, where were you yesterday? Yesterday, let's see. What was yesterday? Oh, yeah, yesterday was Monday. I'll declare. I just don't remember. I went to many different places. Were you sick? Must have been. You know I'm a good worker. Could you Could you take that? I've even had people say, Brother Grant, pray for me. I'm so sick. I said, you work today? Oh, I had to. I can't miss work because I owe too many bills. Now, basically, I'm putting it like this. As much as you need any meal, you need the house of God and what God has prepared. As much as you need a time of rest and relaxation that maybe hunting gives to you, there is rest in the Holy Spirit that you need much more than that. As much as you need to work on your spirit, on your physical job, you need work. You need to perform work in the house of God. Isn't that right? Another thing, too, I've noticed, fellowship. See, one of the functions of the church is fellowship. Service is too long. What's night service too long? You play games all night. Think nothing about it. See, oh, but I put the kids down to sleep. Put them down to sleep in the house of God. Most of them go to sleep anyway. Now, I know that this is 1994, but I remember as a little kid, my mother used to sit on the very front of the church. We had old wooden pews, benches, like we have up at, up at camp, except a lot of them didn't have backs on them. My mother would bring a little quilt, a little pallet, put underneath the quilt, and a little pint jar of water and sit down there. As a little kid, I'd crawl up underneath there. I'd lie there, and I'd watch everybody dancing in the spirit, open the water, get a drink, close it back up. It's always hot. The water was. Services went for hours and hours and hours. And when we had revival, sometimes we had it for a month at a time, and never a rest night. I mean, it was Sunday twice. It was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Over and over and over. Week after week after week after week after week. You know why it's too tough for you? 
because you're you're just a pansy. You're too tender. This plush lifestyle is getting you. I'm not trying to make make everything look. Look at all the automated things we have. Go in automatic washing machine, automatic dryer, automatic bread maker, automatic microwave, automatic ovens that just come on in the middle of the night and cook your meals for you. I have those things in my office too. I got speed dial. You know, you just press asterisk 80 and to get my home. Three numbers. It takes too long to dial 249-0251. <clears throat> Besides that, it's hard. <clears throat> I mean, if they sell that to you, now you may not think it has any psychological bearing. After a while, you, you, you know, you complain about it. Oh, it's just too, oh the service for preacher preaches so long. Oh, my. And then the altar service is so long. But do something you want to do. Pull out your games and see if you can't play into daylight and then still go to work. Then you wonder why when you get in the house of God there's so much condemnation on me. I just feel horrible about everything. Preacher's always preaching at me. Boy, he's got my number. God wants to save you, brother. God wants to save you, sister. Vacation. People get sick and miss vacations, but... For the most part, we find a way. Always find a way to go. Praise God. <clears throat> now, i got another point. This is what I have written down. It doesn't pay God to depend on people who are not dependable. Is it wise that God depends on a Sunday school teacher who's not spiritual enough to pray kids through the Holy Ghost? Is that wise? Mm -mm. Is it wise for God to depend on a pastor who doesn't care enough about people to preach the truth? I got one of the most beautiful gifts this past Christmas I've ever gotten. It's very meaningful. But it's just a canop. Brother, Sister Chernozowski. <clears throat> Sorry about that, brother. <clears throat> Sister Martha, cross stitch. And they all put it together. It was so nice. And, 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 and Brother Knopf, uh, maybe Burry helped. I don't know who all, but they made this frame. And it's this little boy on, on a some kind of a stool, looks like a box, over a pulpit. And he's talking to, was it a mouse in front, was it? Talking to a mouse down here. And down below it says, preach the truth no matter what. I couldn't receive it at a better time. Because I want to tell you something. If you want to know the truth, lately I have been very discouraged not in my spiritual walk, but I have felt like that I am just ineffective. I cannot move some of you. I cannot. Our last leadership meeting we had, I expected 44 people to come. We had 11 people to come out of the 44. I cannot work with 25% of the people they're involved. In other words, scrap the whole organization. Just scrap it all. We'll just have church. But it'll go a lot better if you get out of that hedge of thorns and get inside of that hedge of his will and shoulder your responsibility. Now the last part of this message point number seven I don't know what to do about you what does it say right here Juanita 
Help, Lord, I must end this message. And I don't know how. I've got to have help from God. I've got to see souls. I'm willing. If you'll be honest and sincere with God, I'm willing to turn this mic off and be the first one to the altar tonight. Rich, I've got to have revival. Oh, God. Oh, 